Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Toronto to speak with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors about Kawhi Leonard joining Toronto and DeMar DeRozan and his legacy with Toronto. We'll go to Atlanta to speak with Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks about a couple of moves the Hawks have made, including shipping out Dennis Schroeder. And lastly, we'll speak with Eric G of Locked On Thunder about uh, Oklahoma City actually receiving Dennis Schroeder and, of course, shedding that Carmelo Anthony contract in the process. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys and welcome to another edition of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. The NBA never sleeps. We are well into the uh, the ends of July and there's still news coming pretty much every day. So we're going to be talking about some of the biggest stories that have occurred over the last few days. So let's get to it. Let's go to Toronto now to bring in the host of the Locked On Raptors podcast. It is Sean Woodley. Sean, it's been a big few days in uh, in Toronto, you've all heard the news already. It's been discussed on Locked On NBA as well, but we're going right to the source here in Toronto. Kawhi Leonard is the newest member of the Toronto Raptors. Demar Derozan and Jakob Pertl have gone to uh, to San Antonio. Of course, Danny Green also comes to Toronto. Sean, first of all, um, what's the general uh, sentiment in Toronto about the uh, about the shipping out of Demar Derozan to acquire Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, it's been a really complicated week emotionally, I think, for Raptors fans because there's no denying that this is kind of a ghoulish and ruthless trade that kind of deprives the Raptors of the guy who was pretty much their soul for the last nine years and brings in a guy in Kawhi Leonard who is undoubtedly a better player, absolutely makes the Raptors a better team, but is going to be harder to root for, I think, at least at first than DeMar ever was. DeMar was... Just the the heart and soul of the team. They called him Mr. I Am Toronto when he got introduced for games. Like, this is not an easy thing to move on from for Raptors fans, considering he's a guy who was so loyal to the team. He stuck around, signed three different contracts with the team between his rookie deal, his second contract, and his third contract. Like, he was the first guy to really embrace Toronto as a city where he wanted to play and love the city and seemed like he wanted to be here forever. So there is some sort of sadness at the idea of him going out, but I do think... And I think this will happen as we get closer to the season as well. It's being replaced by just complete and utter excitement and a kind of awe that Kawhi Leonard is on the freaking Raptors now. It's it, it's crazy. This team has never had someone this talented unless you want to throw early Vince Carter in. But even to, yeah, I, I still think Kawhi probably has an upper edge on, on uh, has the upper hand on Vince Carter back in the day. Like he is a top five player in the league he's one of the best defensive players we've ever seen and this is a guy the Raptors have never had before and it's always been their bugaboo the last few years they've just never had a guy who has the talent to go up against the best players in in series and you know for the last I don't know how many playoff series you could argue the Raptors didn't have the best player on the court and that was obviously something that was a hindrance to their overall ceiling so I think as we look towards the season and kind of see all the different machinations of what this team can look like with Kawhi and Danny Green on the team I do think eventually the the sort of somber note will kind of fade away and it's just going to be excitement for what should be 
one of the two best teams in the Eastern Conference with Kawhi on it. Yeah, look, that that's the thing. Of course, you you said that that Kawhi is comfortably a better player than Demar Derozan, assuming he's fit and healthy, and assuming he plays in Toronto. But I don't think we need to. That was the initial report. Oh, maybe he's not going to report. I don't think there's any need for us to be concerned about that. Um, yeah. We've heard recent reports today coming out, Sean, that there that he will. Yeah, there's there's rumors that he will look to re-sign in Toronto, or or not to rule it out. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Not to saying he will yeah sign there, but not to rule out that thought. Whereas people thought there was zero chance that he will. Uh, he would be doing that. So, yeah, I understand the, the, the move here from the Toronto perspective, selling out to try and get themselves into the NBA Finals, and they've got as good a chance as any for this coming season. As you said, Kawhi is a top-five player in the NBA. He's the best offensive player in the NBA, assuming he's healthy. Danny Green has slid a little bit, but he's a three-point shooter who's one of the best shot-blocking guards and defensive guards, especially in transition in the NBA he doesn't need to take on a high usage role. Kawhi can have that usage. Uh, Kyle Lowry is going to have that usage. There's plenty of guys on this team. And defensively, they've got, uh, they've really upped their defensive ceiling by these, uh, acquisitions. DeMar obviously struggled on that end. And these two guys can really bring it and bring this team to be one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's kind of scary when you look at it. And this, it's, Part of this trade that's so exciting is that they did it without giving up OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam. And those two in, in particular, I think, kind of unlock so much in the way of defensive versatility and lineup combinations to pair with Kawhi. I was so excited by the prospect of pairing those two with Kawhi, but I kind of thought it was just out of the question that one of those or both of them would be still in Toronto after the deal was made. And so when you look at what they can throw out there, they can go super big. They can play Kawhi at the two and play OG and Pascal and Serge Ibaka at center. Uh, they can play DeLon Wright at, at the two and go small. And they can have, you know, those three Kawhi, OG and Pascal in the court all at once and have Pascal play small, small ball five. Like there's a lot of versatility here. And I think maybe the offense, you know, it's hard to say. Like the offense, you know, was a top five offense for the last few seasons, and maybe it doesn't carry over. I, but at the same time, Kawhi is just like a better version of Demar when it comes to mid range shooting and you know self creation. So even then, like the offense shouldn't really taper off all that much, um, considering that you have Jonas Valanciunas, who's still one of the more efficient big men in the league, despite being a little bit more of an, a, a sort of an artifact when it comes to big men in the league. Uh, even Serge Ibaka, like he had a really rough end of the season, but he's still a useful pick and pop threat. Uh, Danny. Green, CJ Miles are essentially the same guy, except Danny Green plays defense, but you have two good three-point shooters. Uh, they have, I think, nine players on the team who shot better than 40% from the corners last season. That is insane. And the, this move kind of upgraded the areas in which the Raptors were weakest. They didn't have a ton of good three-point shooters on the team. You take off two and you add two good ones. You take off two bad shooters and add two good ones with the trade. And you sort of take away the biggest glaring hole that I think was a big reason why the Raptors struggled in this year's playoffs is DeMar's defense is just not up to snuff when you really need it to be and you can't hide him anywhere. And you replace DeMar and maybe one of the worst collections of wing defenders in the league behind OG with two of the best wing defenders on the planet and now this team is so deep on the wings that guys like Norman Powell are sitting there still you know fourth or fifth in the wing rotation and not going to see any time so yeah the, the the possibilities are pretty exciting for this team now that they're so loaded with wings who don't really have a fault that's going to play them off the floor in the postseason before I let you go Sean obviously DeMar DeRozan yeah. meant a ton to this team um, you know, didn't take any other meetings in free agency you can talk about loyalty and all that sort of stuff which I understand all the sentimentality behind that there's been talk behind you yeah, let's get DeMar DeRozan a statue in Toronto 
What's your take on that uh, jersey retirements and the overall, I guess, scheme of where DeMar sits in uh, Toronto Raptor history? Is he going to be looked back at more favorably than someone like Vince Carter? Is he the face of the franchise um, for this you know, team as it moves forward? Yeah, DeMar is such an interesting case because I think you could argue that he's maybe like the fourth most talented Raptor of all time behind Vince, Chris Bosh, and even Kyle Lowry. And I still maintain that Kyle was a better player than DeMar even last season when DeMar finished All-NBA and, and Kyle didn't even sniff it. Um, but if you sort of include everything and have a holistic approach to it and you include the off-court stuff, the loyalty, the success that he had uh, that a guy like Vince or, or Chris Bosh didn't have, like I think it's hard to say DeMar isn't the most... I don't know the exact proper word for it. The most important, the the greatest, like that's going to be like your all-encompassing word, Raptor of all time. And, and I think, yeah, I'm pro-statue. The Raptors don't have anything to really have built a statue about uh, in their history, so why not make DeMar the first? I think they should retire his jersey. And I, I'm really looking forward to when the Spurs come to Toronto. I think the ovation that DeMar receives is going to be something really special. I think it's going to be really emotional to see because DeMar loved it here, and he said it in his goodbye post on Instagram uh, on Friday. He really, really loved Toronto and and embraced it in a way someone a player never really has. And I think maybe there's some beef between, between him and the front office, but I think the love between DeMar and the city and the fans is not going anywhere. And it's going to be really moving when he returns. So, yeah, I would say build all the stuff, retire the jersey, honor him any way you can. And Masai said that they're going to do that uh, in any way possible to honor DeMar's memory in the city because he was the Raptors for nine years. And, and that's not a thing to sniff at. That's almost half of the franchise's history, really. Um, so I think he should and will be honored you know, appropriately. And if that means a statue, hell yeah, do it. Do the one, do a statue of him dunking on Anthony Tolliver. How about that? That, that would be, uh, I think that would be a fitting way to, to honor DeMar's time with the Raptors. We definitely look forward to him coming back and getting that video tribute. Unless of course, Paul Pierce is there, then they'll have to put it off. So Paul Pierce can buy out some candles <laughs> on his cake. Um, Sean, thank you for, uh, thanks for coming on and, uh, and chatting about the, the huge, the biggest trade of this NBA off-season, of course, Kawhi going north, the Raptors with a massive chance to to hopefully advance further than they ever have in their history. If you want to hear more about the Raptors, which is going to be a bloody interesting season for them this season, go and check out Locked On Raptors with Sean. Sean, thanks, for, thanks again for coming on. No problem, man. And uh, yeah, I got lots of Kawhi content up last week. Uh, trade reaction, a crossover episode with Jeff Garcia from Locked On Spurs, and then a DeMar tribute podcast, all available on the feed. So uh, make sure you check it out. Cool. Go check that out, guys. Let's now bring in the host of the Locked On Hawks podcast, Brad Roland. The Hawks have been making some moves over the uh, past couple of days, couple of weeks. Um, obviously, their, uh, their, I guess, direction is pretty clear for this coming season. They've been looking for suitors for Dennis Schroeder. They found one. They absorbed Carmelo Anthony. They're going to be waving him. What does this mean? Obviously, Mallow's not going to be playing for the Hawks, Brad, but um, you're getting rid of Dennis Schroeder or the Dennis Schroeder era. What does that mean for this team moving forward? And just how desperate were they to, to uh, unload the uh, the German point guard? They were pretty desperate, I think. They uh, he was, they were definitely had been shopping him for probably you know six months or so, dating back to last season's trade deadline. So they definitely wanted to part ways with him, if at all possible. And that was only magnified when they went ahead and drafted Trey Young and acquired Jeremy Lin. So uh, I think that the running was on the wall there. They did very, very well, in my opinion, in terms of actually what they were able to pull off trade-wise. You know, Schroeder is a loss from the team from a talent perspective. He, he did a lot for the Hawks 
last season, but the contract is sort of a bear. And uh, given there's also like a legal charge hanging over him, there's a lot there's a lot going on with Dennis Schroeder. So he was kind of blocked as well. So they, they did have the urgency to go ahead and do that. They were able to pull that off. I think at some point he was always going to get traded. Um, the timing was sort of interesting, actually. The fact that they were able to do it uh, relatively quickly was something I was a little bit surprised by. But in the end, it was something that we all expected to happen. And they finally were able to pull it off. So he moves on now to Oklahoma City in this trade. They also sent out Mike Muscala to uh, to Philadelphia, but uh, ostensibly replaced him in the rotation with the Alex Len signing. Yeah, Muscala can play a little bit of the four as well, but the majority of the time he was playing playing center. Alex Len's a guy who I think is uh, underrated, um, was uh, shunted around and wasn't given the best opportunity in Phoenix, had some injury concerns. Yeah, obviously hasn't lived up to the potential as a top five pick, but I like him heading here to Atlanta. Brad, what's your take on the Alex Len signing? Where does he fit into this big man rotation? And does this signing, along with the presence of Dwayne Debbin mean that the Hawks are more committing to John Collins as a four rather than a five? Yeah, I do think that he is, uh, that Lynn will be the third big right away. I think ideally they would have signed a power forward first, but on the market at this point in time, there isn't too much in terms of talent. So I think they went with the uh, sort of the most overall talent and upside that they could snatch with with Len, considering he is so young. And uh, one of those things, like, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, by the nature of the roster, the fact that they have Deadman and Len now means Collins is going to play more at the four. I would hope at some point that Lloyd Pierce and company want to play Collins at, at the five with some small ball lineups, maybe have some Torian Prince at the four, that kind of stuff. But as a as a full sort of, you know, standard rotation piece, I think the starting center will be Dwayne Deadman, the backup will be Alex Len, and we'll see John Collins at least start at the four, which makes uh, some sense. I think, for me personally, I think his ideal position is probably seven still in today's NBA, but he's a guy who certainly has shown more of the perimeter stuff to be able to play the four. And the one side, it made a lot of sense. I think, you know, it's a guy where he can certainly bring some talent to life there. I think he is sort of getting him out of Phoenix will open up up some doors for Alex Len because he was a guy who has more talent than he's been able to display in Phoenix. You know, offensively, the ceiling isn't too high, but he's a guy who can certainly, you know, be a a pick-and-roll dive man, protect the rim, and just kind of do what the Hawks want him to do as a sort of backup third big rotational piece because, honestly, he and Devin could probably play together as well because Devin now can space the floor as a shooter. It's not ideal by any means, but because the Hawks don't have really very, very many natural power forwards on their roster, they might have to get creative at times this season. So we'll, we'll probably see plenty of Alex Lynn, even if it's definitely going to be in a supporting role. I think an underrated part of this, uh, or underreported part of this signing, Brad, is that you're going to have to be extra careful with your enunciation now that the team has Len and Lynn <laughs> on the same team. That's uh, if, if, if you're speaking too fast or, or, uh, or not clearly enough, I'm going to have to watch this as well, that uh, Len and Lynn could very easily be confused. Um, with uh, with Jeremy Lin coming across now, that will, again, put the writing on the wall that, uh, that Dennis Schroeder would be moved. I think the the benefit of having Lin here in that trade with the, the Nets a, a week or so ago is he can play at the two and help uh, with Trey Young at the one there. Does this give you the impression that Trey Young will be the starting point guard come opening night, or do you think that they'll if assuming Jeremy Lin is healthy, which we don't have full confirmation on, they'll go with uh, with Lin in that uh, in that spot. It's a very interesting question. It's one that I've been asked a lot. I don't have a full answer to I, I, just because you know because there is that shroud of uh, mystery around Jeremy Lin right now with this injury stuff. In fact, he missed all season last year, and they acquired him so late that there, there really hasn't been much time to sort of diagnose that and you know talk to him locally. He hasn't been in Atlanta, all that all that fun stuff. So 
I'm assuming that Trey Young will be the starting point guard, but that's a situation where I would not be surprised at all if that on opening night they started Jeremy Lin, you know, gave Trey Young a little bit of a longer leash. With that said, I expect Trey Young to play real minutes, probably starter level minutes regardless. Because as you mentioned, Jeremy Lin can play the two. I think we'll probably see that lineup a, a decent amount, you know. Young and they, uh, the Hawks were saying all the stuff about tra- about playing Trey Young and Dennis Schroeder together if they possibly could. Some of that was probably just you know speaking what they had to say, given that Schroeder was still on the roster. But with with Lynn, Young and Link can't actually play together. Lynn's a pretty big point guard. He can also space the floor a little bit. And with Young's um, floor spacing as a shooter and his passing ability, those guys can certainly play together. Defensively, it won't be ideal by any means, but I think you'll see that at that time. So I'm not 100% sure who's going to start, but I do think both those guys are going to be playing significant minutes this season, especially at the early goings, because Trey Young, uh, for all of his talent, probably will have a little bit of growing pains early on. I think, uh, and, and well, not I think, I, I know another piece that came across in this uh, Camelo Anthony Dennis Schroeder deal was Justin Anderson from the Philadelphia 76ers started his career with the Dallas Mavericks. Hasn't really put it all together. Did have some early injury problems in Dallas, but had some moments in Philadelphia. And I think that he can be a, a solid rotational piece. And I think that, uh, that Hawks fans should be, I guess, not excited but definitely not disappointed by getting Justin Anderson a guy who can provide some defensive value who can you know uh, stretch out a little bit can probably play some real small ball four at lineups at least alongside Tory and Prince there as well so you know, Justin Anderson what can what can uh, Hawks fans expect from him on this team that is you know, trying to, to rebuild and gather these young pieces he's just another guy that adds to that hey maybe he can take a step forward in his fourth season yeah, I've always liked Justin Anderson quite a bit. I'm, I'm not sure he was ever uh, placed in a situation where he was able to uh, have a long enough leash to succeed in his previous two stops. So with that said, we haven't seen too much of Justin Anderson proving much. So I think you know it comes down to his jump shot more than anything. I think defensively, he's a guy who's athletic and fairly long and, and pretty strong. So I think there's a situation where you can put him out there on the floor, play, as, as you said, some small ball four, but really be a, a legitimate uh, defensive small four, which the Hawks really only have one of on this roster in Torian Prince. They have a lot of uh, swing men on this team, but most of those guys are shooting guard size, whereas uh, Anderson is probably closer to a small forward. So that helps. Uh, you know, I'm not sure he's going to play a ton in the early going. There is that relationship going back to Philadelphia where he actually played for the new head coach of the Hawks, Lloyd Pierce, in Philadelphia. So there might be some familiarity there. He might be ahead of the game on the system and that kind of stuff as a result of that. But uh, he'll be competing with guys like DeAndre Bembry and Tyler Dorsey for the third and fourth wing minutes. I think that you're going to see Torian Prince and Kent Bazemore starting uh, at the beginning of the season. But, you know, Anderson certainly could be getting some backup minutes there. I think he probably will early in the season. And if he, if he performs well, then he'll probably stick there because he's young enough to uh, make some sense for the Hawks. And this is he's actually his, his last season before he hits uh, free agency. But as a young guy, he'll be hitting restricted free agency. So there's a situation where the Hawks have, do have some incentive to make him feel comfortable and play him a little bit and see what they have in Anderson. If they like him, they'll keep him around long term probably. So he's always a guy that I've liked. It kind of remains to be seen as to how much he's going to play. But I do think he's going to play some, and he's, a, he's enough of a versatile player where it makes some sense. The Hawks have got 14 guys under contract at the moment, which includes Carmelo Anthony, and obviously he's going to be waived. So there is some some space there for them to make a couple of moves, but ostensibly their offseason appears as though it's done. Although, Brad, I wouldn't be ruling out them and maybe trying to look at other trades to acquire future assets like they did in that Mellow trade and getting rid of someone they didn't want who had three years left uh, in Schroeder and acquiring a future first-round pick and getting a piece like Justin Anderson. So there is still a little bit of wiggle room for this team. Their, Their direction is pretty clear. 
that they're not going to be aiming for for winning games this season. But there's enough young guys on this team with Young, with Collins, and with some of these other players like uh, like Bembry, like Anderson, like Prince to see what develops for the Hawks over the course of the season. It's going to be a different tack than what it's been over the past four to five seasons when, apart from last year, they've been really competitive and pushing up. But uh, still a little bit of hope there for Atlanta fans. Yeah, absolutely. I think this. I think this is probably going to be the roster, as you said. The Hawks don't really have uh, much of a mechanism to sign anybody. They have they have basically just a minimum contract remaining. They're probably going to carry fourteen, from what the front office has said. So, as you said, you know, as you mentioned, without Anthony on the roster, they'll have thirteen guys. They'll probably sign somebody. But it, this is definitely a rebuilding, a re- another rebuilding year. This is year two of what is going to be a probably a pretty lengthy rebuild. The Hawks do have, have, have some considerable talent, and they have some assets in the future now. So they could probably speed things up a little bit after this year. But I think the running's on the wall. For for this team to be one of the worst in the league, I will say, as a performance standpoint, but pretty entertaining as well. There's going to be some young talent, uh, you know, Trey Young, John Collins, Torian Prince. Those guys are all entertaining, and you have some veterans and Dwayne Dedman and Kent Bazemore who can who can play, and they're not terrible to watch. So it should be a pretty entertaining season. I'm not expecting too much in the area of wins, but uh, actually pretty, uh, you know, pretty watchable product. And even last year when they were pretty bad, I think this year will be probably even more entertaining because of the fact that you had Dennis Schroeder off the team, who wasn't always the most fun guy to watch, and you add Trey Young, who is a legitimate piece of the future here and is definitely entertaining to watch when he shoots from deep and makes these high level passes so yeah i mean not not too much excitement in terms of uh on-court performance this year but it should be a pretty fun product and uh, during a rebuild is kind of all you can ask for Exactly. Make sure you guys are checking out Brad and Locked On Hawks for all the uh, all the news about Atlanta, about uh, the development of these young guys. Brad, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA again. Oh, it's my pleasure as always. Happy to do it, man. And lastly, we bring in Eric G of the Locked On Thunder podcast, and we're going to talk about a few moves that the Oklahoma City Thunder made in the past couple of days, ostensibly to get their luxury tax payments down. Eric, the first move is one we all saw coming for for quite a while, and that was Carmelo Anthony traded. He moved on to the Atlanta Hawks, as we discussed earlier, in exchange for Dennis Schroeder. They also got Timotei Lawawu Cabrero back in that deal. This is uh, primarily, Eric, a a money-saving exercise by the Oklahoma City Thunder front office. How much money does this actually save them uh, pure cash-wise? Well, that luxury tax is going to drop from over $100 million to $84.5 million. And that's a, obviously, that's a huge savings for for Oklahoma City. And I want to say the original number was like 155. It was 141 exactly. $141 million to $84.5 million for Oklahoma City, for, for Oklahoma City, which is obviously a big savings. But I think what's more significant here is that for the fans, whether they kept Carmelo Anthony or traded him and picked up a guy like Dennis Schroeder, who's due to make $15 million a year over the next three years or $15 million and a half over the next three years, you can't call this team cheap because even though you are whittling down some of that luxury tax money, you're still spending $84 million in luxury tax, which for a small market is still, that's still a pretty big number. It's a $12 million difference between Carmelo's salary and Dennis Schroeder's salary. And of course, we have the multiplier effects of the, uh, of the luxury tax there. But this isn't a case of just waving Melo and stretching him straight up. It's not a, an issue of just trading him for, um, yeah, to, and giving up assets, which they did. They did give up a, a protected future first round pick in the deal. But Dennis Schroeder's a guy who you could make the argument for, Eric, was 
probably a better player than what Mello was last season. Yeah, he plays the same position as what Russell Westbrook does, but we've known over the course of many seasons that the issues the Thunder have had with that backup point guard spot, it was manned uh, very well last season by Raymond Felton. But Schroeder comes in now who can play at the one. He's had some experience playing at the two as well. And that's not like they're just getting rid of a player who is was serviceable in Mello, but they're getting back someone who you could say is at a similar level, if not better, um, and saving money in the process. So it is... Uh, a pretty significant move here, I think, by Sam Presti and the front office. That's a shrewd move by Sam Presti, and I, I think it left a little bit. I think it left some of us surprised because, truthfully, when you looked at Carmelo Anthony at his age, what he was making, finding the trade partners for Carmelo Anthony wasn't going to be the easiest task for Sam Presti, and getting something worthwhile in return. I thought was going to be very difficult because pretty much Carmelo Anthony was a toxic asset. And I thought you would have to take a toxic asset in return. But luckily you found a team in Atlanta that had just drafted Trey Young, who was their future. They were looking to get rid of Dennis Schroeder and his salary and the Thunder, at least for now, are willing to take it on. The other thing that was that we were all kind of scratching our head about is even though Carmelo Anthony didn't have one of his better years with Oklahoma City, he was still averaging 16 points per game. And the Thunder really can't afford to lose any more scoring. So with Schroeder coming in, who was averaging 19 points a game last year, you not only replaced that, but up that by three points a game. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Schroeder fits because Raymond Felton is a valued member of this organization, not just from the -the on-the-court standpoint, but really what he brings to the locker room. And I think there are going to be times where Schroeder, Westbrook, and Felton are all going to be on the court at the same time. And I would think when that happens, Raymond Felton's running the floor and the Thunder trust him. And I want to see how Dennis Schroeder plays without the ball in his hand and and how that piece fits together. I also believe that the Thunder are still in desperate need of a 3 and D guy. And Schroeder is a pretty good movable part with his salary, with him being a younger guy, that you might see the Thunder kind of shop him around either before training camp starts or throughout the season, depending on how he's fitting in with this team. They also made another smaller move, Eric, to, to get themselves uh, even further down in terms of luxury tax. They traded Dakari Johnson and his fully guaranteed deal for Rodney Purvis of, of the Orlando Magic, uh, and he was a non-guaranteed deal. Apparently, they've sent some cash back to Orlando in that scenario, but they'll just waive Purvis and save that $1.5 million, which, of course, is way more than $1.5 million in the scheme of the luxury tax scenario. And Also, in this Carmelo Anthony deal, they acquired Timotei Lawawu Cabrera, who, at the end of his... His rookie season in Philadelphia showed a few flashes, but for a team that has struggled at that two position, Alex Abrines, Terrence Ferguson, they didn't do a huge amount to their last season. Andre Robertson, we don't know exactly how he's going to come back from the Patella injury. Lawawu Cabro could be someone that they could uh, turn to in a pinch, and he could find himself as a player who does contribute on this team. So it's another guy who might not be needed on most nights, but is a guy that you know, could potentially be already ahead of Abrines and, uh, and Ferguson in the rotation. Yeah, and that's a, that's a that's an interesting question as well. I thought I thought Terrence Ferguson had a pretty good summer league and was you got to remember Terrence Ferguson's only been in the NBA one year and and I, I thought had a pretty good summer league and the Thunder do tend to value guys that have been in the organization over guys that they bring in for the most part. But Abrinas, 
you know, this is sort of the, the do or die year for Alex Sabrinas. I say sort of, it is the do or die year. He must absolutely show consistency when he gets on the floor because last year, Billy Donovan did lose faith in him. He also lost faith in Josh Eustace, and those guys got yo-yoed in and out of the lineup just because you never knew what you were going to get get night in, night out. The other thing with Alex Sabrinas is he substantially, if he wants any chance of making it in this organization, he needs to substantially improve on defense here in the next year. And these are all sort of challenges. I mean, for as good as I think the Thunder can be this year, there's still a lot of question marks. And defensively, the Thunder have got a lot to answer for because we don't know when Andre Robertson's coming back. So these first three months, I mean, if you if you take her the first two and a half months of the season, they could be the most interesting team in the association when you think about it. Yeah, look, there's definitely a lot to look at here. One last question before we uh, before we let you go, Eric, and that is Jeremy Grant. They re-signed him to a three-year deal. He, uh, I, I assume, will look to step into that Carmelo Anthony role. It could be Patrick Patterson, who battled knee injuries for most of last season. But yeah, Grant's going to have to take a step up now with Mello not there in the front court. Um, the big question, of course, is can his uh, can his shooting come around? Can he become even anywhere close to league average as a, as a shooter from that stretch four position? But it's a, it's going to be a big year for Jeremy Grant. They've invested in him, and they need him to step up now. Absolutely, they do. And he actually shoots 30 percent. I was looking at I was looking at his numbers from beyond the arc, and surprisingly enough, he shoots thirty percent from beyond the arc. But he doesn't take that many shots from beyond the arc. And right now, with that Thunder starting five, if you figure he's stepping into that role, and you mentioned Patrick Patterson's. Knee issues, it took Patrick Patterson the better part of the year to come around. And when we did see Patrick Patterson come around, it was only in flashes. You're looking at a very interesting th- starting five for the Thunder. We're really the only scoring threat other than Russell Westbrook is Paul George. You've got Steven Adams on the inside. And I know the Thunder, the Thunder do work with Steven Adams on three point shooting and are hoping that that can become a part of Absolutely. his game. Like, like we're seeing so many big guys. But it's a it's a starting five that lacks right now, if you're asking me, it lacks firepower just because Russell Westbrook is inconsistent from three. You only have to worry about Paul George and Robertson gives you nothing on the offensive end. And we don't know what Grant's going to give. The, the thing for Billy Donovan is, is, though, even though there's still all these question marks, he's getting back to core of his team, which is the first time that he's really had that in his time in Oklahoma City. So at least from now through training camp, you can start to kind of put it all together in your mind to see how it's it's going to work out. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how this team goes. Does Schroeder replacing Mello improve their outlook? Does one year of having these guys, an extra year of having these guys together, what does that mean for this team? Eric, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, everyone can follow your stuff over on Locked on Thunder, of course, through the preseason, through the offseason, and, of course, during the regular season. Eric, thanks once again for coming on Locked on NBA. Thank you very much for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. And that is another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you're checking out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network, including all 30 of the individual NBA teams, Locked On Raptors, Locked On Hawks, Locked On Thunder. Go check those out. I also host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Also follow the whole network on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net and on Facebook as well. Leave a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. That's a great way of helping the show. And you can also find us on Google 
Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.